0: Cause sometimes I be right. Hello, welcome to the show. We got some uh, some hot topics today. Hotty, hottie, full of body. <laughs> Listen, man, we're not gonna waste no time. We're not gonna waste no time. Why would we waste your time? We're not gonna do that. We're going to get to the the important things we need to talk about. We had the the All-Star game this past weekend, universally considered trash. We're going to discuss that uh, much like I did a year ago. I have come up with the perfect solution on how to fix not only the NBA All-Star game, but All-Star Saturday night, which has become just as uninteresting as the game itself. We also got some other stuff to get into. Some hate. I got some hate to share today, which isn't really hate. I think it's more just reality. But uh, let's get right into it. What up, Cyber Family? If this is your first time joining us, welcome. This is Sometimes I Be Right. I'm your host, John Fast, reporting live from Trash Can Studios. As always, joined by my co-host, Wally. Say what up, Wally. So, as I said, we want to get right into this thing. So, let's start off with the uh, announcement. I think it was either last week or the week before. I meant to talk about it, but, you know, I figured I'd wait closer to the actual event. So, Jake Paul is fighting Tommy Fury this uh, Sunday here, but Saturday they're over in Dubai. Or is it Saturday here? Well, however it works. (laughs) This weekend, you don't care. I don't care. It is what it is, okay? But the but the but what I want to talk about is the WBC has come out and said that they will rank Jake Paul if he, in fact, can win against Tommy Fury, he will officially get a WBC ranking as a cruiserweight. Now, most people clap it up, right? Clap it up. Good for him. He's earned it. Da-da-da-da-da. Whatever, whatever, whatever. My first thought was... Boxing should be embarrassed. Boxing should be embarrassed. All of its fans should be embarrassed. All of its participants should be embarrassed. This is embarrassing. Like, why is Jake Paul getting ranked as a cruiserweight? And you would say, "Oh, because he's fighting and he's boxing and he's contributing to the sport." And why shouldn't he? Okay, let's see. Ah, uh, so he is. So, in case you didn't know, Jake Paul is six zero, and you probably know that. Um, but let's go through his his fights uh, he fought Anderson Gibb uh, which was making his uh, pro boxing debut I don't think he's boxed professionally since I don't know if the misfits count as professional boxing but let's just say he was making his debut as a professional boxer then he fought Nate Robinson who was making his debut as a professional boxer in his one and only boxing match. Then he fought Ben Askren, who was also making his boxing debut and his only boxing match. Then he fought Tyrone Woodley, who was making his first uh, boxing debut, and then fought him again, and Tyrone Woodley has yet to fight again as a boxer. He's trying, but not getting anything. And then he fought Anderson Silva, a guy who has a grand total of four boxing matches in his life, uh, and... You would hardly say that qualifies you to all of a sudden get a ranking above guys who have been literally participating in the fights, fighting the guys who are also ranked. Uh, And then he is scheduled to fight Tommy Fury, who I don't believe is ranked right now. So my question then becomes, how can you rank him over guys who... um, who who have been fighting at cruiserweight and fighting other guys who are actually ranked, and you're going to rank this guy who's been who's been fighting celebrities, MMA guys, uh, a YouTuber, and a, and a retired basketball player. That's his resume, and you're going to rank this guy in the WBC. And the reason why this is more annoying is because ranking him now gives it legitimacy to say if someone wants to fight him. If a cruiserweight wants to fight him, you can sanction that fight and say, sure, it's not crazy because he is also ranked. So it doesn't make the cruiserweight look like a bozo for choosing to call out Jake Paul. Now, interestingly enough, on the undercard of the Paul Fury fight is Badu Jack taking on Iyunga Makabu for the cruiserweight title. Now, that's interesting because if Jake Paul wins, he becomes ranked. And then you have these two cruiserweights, official crew, like real legit guys. Who are now fighting on the undercard. So now you are all, already have the next fight set up. where if There is a world. There is a realistic world. Where Jake Paul is fighting for a cruiserweight title. In the next six months. That is a real possibility. That is That is exactly what they are setting up. And it is embarrassing. Because Jake Paul has no business being in a ring. To fight for a cruiserweight title. When he has fought zero cruiserweights zero he has never fought anyone ranked by the wbc at cruiserweight so how can he fight for a cruiserweight title there are guys who are ranked in the top 10 or top 10 contenders at cruiserweight that deserve that shot that have earned that shot and you're going to give it to this guy because he brings eyeballs to the sport no he doesn't he brings eyeballs to himself those people are not watching your disown fights on a random Saturday. Those people are not watching the ESPN top-ranked cards on a Friday night. Jake Paul fans are not watching boxing matches for guys they don't know. They're going to show up and watch Jake Paul, and then they're going to leave. The people who hate Jake Paul are going to show up to watch him lose, and then they're going to leave. They're not following the sport beyond that. It's a cash grab. Let's rank him. Let's get him in the ring with a cruiserweight. And if he wins a title, oh, my God. What an amazing story. What an amazing ride. We can milk that for a long time. Let's do it. Boxing needs to be ashamed of themselves. You are basically saying you no longer have to work your way up. You no longer have to earn anything. Just be popular, and then we'll give you a title shot. As long as you're popular. We don't care if you're good or not. Thing think it's embarrassing. Now, talking about the actual fight of Jake Paul versus Tommy Fury, I believe Jake Paul is going to win. I think he's going to knock out Tommy Fury. Here's why. I think by every metric you can judge, Tommy Fury is a better boxer than Jake Paul. He is. I think if you just want to look at it and say, who's actually better I think Tommy Fury is a better boxer. Means nothing, though. I think Tommy Fury so badly wants to beat up Jake Paul. I think he so badly wants to knock him out that he's going to take chances that he knows he shouldn't take. And he's going to open himself up and leave himself open and exposed. And Jake Paul is just waiting for that opening and he will take advantage. We've seen Jake Paul in his last three fights. The two against Tyron Woodley and the one against Anderson Silva where he will bide his time waiting for a shot. Almost lost all three of those fights because of it. Because just waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for the perfect shot to open and then executing. It. That's what he did with Tyron Woodley in the second fight. And that's why he won that fight by knockout. Is because he waited for Tyron Woodley to make the mistake and then he jumped on it because that's what he was waiting for. He's going to do the same for Tommy Fury. Tommy Fury is not going to have the discipline to jab him and outbox him and get the decision. Number one, because he doesn't believe he's going to get a decision over Jake Paul. Because you already know that the WBC badly wants Jake Paul to win so they can rank him. So they can set up a title fight and have this massive pay-per-view event that they think they're going to get. So they are setting that up. That's what they want. And they are willing to say, hey, judges, uh, give it to this guy because that's what we want to happen. You, the writing's on the wall for Tommy Fury he knows I'm not going to get a decision here so he's going to have to go for the knockout and by going for the knockout he's going to leave himself open Jake Paul is going to take advantage and is going to hit him with something hard clean uh, that he's not seeing coming and he's going to knock him out that's my prediction I'm rooting like hell for Tommy Fury to win um, but the thing that also sucks is Tommy Fury is not going to get that title shot if he wins so it's like if you think Jake Paul is good enough to be ranked, then why isn't Tommy going to be ranked? Why, why didn't the WBC come out and say the winner of this fight will get an official ranking for the WBC? Like I think that that's just that's weird. Your, your move and your play and your decision and what you want is already clear. The writing's on the wall. We all see it. It's embarrassing. As a fan of boxing, it's embarrassing. As a fan of sports, it's embarrassing. And as a fan of competition, it's embarrassing that this guy could take the road that he took, fight the guys that he fought, play the games that he played, and then get rewarded for it in the end. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. now random thought I had (laughs) just a completely random thought um I was thinking about the NBA All-Star weekend right and there's a lot of hate for the All-Star game and a lot of people saying it was absolutely unwatchable it's the worst game it's the worst thing in the world like you can't you literally can't watch it it's unwatchable it's uninteresting it's not fun it's the guys aren't really playing. it's just guys jacking up half court threes and other guys doing three sixty dunks and trying to have like a dunk contest within the game like it's not fun. We know you can jump high, we know you can dunk, we know you can shoot it from unlimited range. It's not fun, but're just watching you guys b s on the court that's not fun, and that reminded me I gotta fix this. I have to come out. I have to figure out, oh man, I keep hitting the mic. <laughs> I have to come out with a way to fix it, right? Like, I did that. I made an episode called I Fix College Football. Um, and and so that was, you know, one of the biggest episodes we've ever put out. That was, like, episode three, by the way. If you want to go back and listen to it, I give a whole detailed plan on how you can fix college football and without expanding the playoff, right? So that reminded me, when I started thinking of that, I started saying, oh, man, unless you fix or address the scheduling problem in college football— expanding to a 12 team playoff it's not going to fix anything all it's going to do is give incentive for teams to schedule cupcakes like so for example in the sec alabama will have a random game against the citadel and it's like what the hell is a citadel like nobody knows what that is or like some random like division two football team will come into alabama the week before they have to play auburn or the week before they have to play their toughest game on the schedule. Well, if if 12 teams can make it to the playoffs, then what's the incentive of trying to have a great regular season? What's the incentive to go undefeated? What's the incentive to win your conference? There is none. So now the incentive becomes let's be healthy so that when we get into the playoff, we can make a real run, which means you're going to have guys resting. So let's say you have a team who, I don't know, gets to the conference championship game, but they're already undefeated. So even if they lose in that conference championship game, hey, we still gonna make the playoff. Like so, let I'm trying to think of an example. So like, let's say you had a team who was if you got 12 teams getting in, a 10 and two Cincinnati team is gonna make the playoff. They're gonna make it, right? So what's the incentive for Cincinnati to play in that la, in that conference championship game? What's their incentive to play the last game of the week when you're like, yo, we could lose this game and still make the playoff? So what you're going to have is you're going to have guys resting players on certain games because, hey, we think we could beat this team without our starters. Then you're going to have teams schedule a really soft non-conference schedule, a whole bunch of cupcakes, and now you have padded schedules and padded stats. Now you're going to have teams going undefeated, but they haven't played anybody. You're going to have a bunch of one-loss teams, but they haven't played anybody because no one there's no incentive. The regular season is 100% just win this amount of games and we can get in. And you can say, oh, it'll be pride. No one's going to sit out the rivalry game. These kids now are not going to schools because their father and mother went to that school and it's in their bloodlines and they've always dreamed of playing for that school. No, they're following the money. They're going to, for the NIL deals. If you're a kid in Tampa, Florida, and you, you've always thought about going to Miami and they come up to you and say, yeah, we're not giving you any NIL or well, we'll give you $30,000. And then you've got Alabama coming in. The top program in the country says we'll give you $3 million. Are you really going to go to Miami? No, you're not. You're 17 years old needing to make a big decision. Like, I'm going to the NFL anyway. Like, I'm going to Alabama. I'm getting that money. I'm playing for the top team in the country. These kids aren't worried about rivalry games. That's for us. That's for the old people. That's for the fans. Because I sat there and I said, man, C.J. Stroud has to go back to school. He lost to Michigan. He's got to beat Michigan. There's no way he's going to be able to live with himself knowing that he lost to Michigan. He don't care. I shouldn't say that. (laughs) Not that he doesn't care, but he also understands, like, look, man, I can't. Yeah, I wish I would have won those games, but, like, I'm about to live my dream. I'm not going to go back. To college and risk my dream because you as a fan think like how can you live with yourself like i live with myself just fine i lost the game it's okay it happens so just a random thought once you expand the playoff to 12 teams we need to do something about scheduling and making sure either that or make sure strength of schedule is a heavy factor when you're picking these 12 teams and give people incentive to make a schedule that is competitive. Because as fans, I don't want to wait till the playoff to see my team play somebody legitimate. And some of these conferences, man, are just not the most difficult conferences. I know we look at the SEC like there's this the mythical, like that's the NFL and everyone else is trash. But it, it's not that bad, but I'm just saying 12 teams is a lot. And there's going to be people scheduling cupcakes because what's the incentive not to? So that, 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 that's just a random thought. But now let's get back to the NBA All-Star game. Okay? So as it stands now, you have All-Star. Friday night is like the celebrity All-Star game, which watching that, these guys. So f- first off, <laughs> my first thought when I watched it, I just popped in and watched a few minutes of it. I'm not a big fan of the celebrity All-Star game. I think it's kind of lame. Um, The first thing I thought was, how incredibly athletic NBA players are because when you watch these like guys playing basketball in a celebrity game like you realize they look terrible they run slow they don't jump well it just looks bad and then you realize oh wait a second that's what we all look like at the Y like we think that you you know you think you're running down the court doing a nice layup you looking like Ja Morant like no you don't you look like Guillermo you look terrible it's a, it's a testament it is it is really like a a a um, a, re, a smack of reality to say these NBA guys are special athletes the way they look when they look graceful or they look smooth like that's these guys are are, are top tier athletes that's number one. Number two, keep the Celebrity All-Star Game if you want. It's a sideshow. I got no problem with it to kick off the weekend. But going into Saturday, you have the skills competition, which used to be each guy running through a little obstacle course and then timing it to see who wins. Now it's turned into a team event where there's like three different um, skills challenges and you do each one as a team and then you see who wins as a team. Then you have the three-point shootout and then you have the granddaddy of them all, the dunk contest to finish off the night. Now. All three events, in my opinion, are really uninteresting after about a couple minutes. Like the skills competition, I turned off. It's just not its not that interesting. It really isn't. And then the three-point contest. This year, you had eight contestants. Bro, that's too many. That's too many to watch each guy put up 30 shots. Like that's a lot to watch. And it gets boring because it's just repetitive. It's just guys shooting a basketball. It gets boring. So number one, I'd cut that number down. I would say you can't have more than four guys competing for the three-point shootout. Then the dunk contest, I would say, look, the reality is is everyone keeps saying, oh, the dunk contest is ruined. We need to move it, blah, blah, blah. Let's not do it for a while. What's wrong with the dunk contest? So Mac McClung won, and everyone made a big deal about how he showed out, and he saved the dunk contest. And I say, no, he didn't, because next year we're going to have the same problem. Like I don't think we've there's two reasons why Mac McClung winning the dunk contest was so great to see. Number one, because he's a white dude. Let's face it. Let's be honest. Let's call a spade a spade. He's a little geeky looking white dude, and you're all impressed that he's got bounce. Like hey, it ha- like what do you like? That's on you. But that's it. That's the real appeal of it. Is like look, he looked like somebody that doesn't play basketball, and he could jump like that. That's great. And number two, because he made every dunk on the first attempt. He made everyone on the first attempt and that made you, it was more exciting because he went up and he did the dunk and he landed it. And it was like, whoa, you were able to react to it. There was no, oh, we saw what he was trying to do. Let's see if he could pull it off. And I got to pretend like I'm excited now. He did it on the first try. So good for him. I like him as a player. I've, I've said it for a while, like, I don't really understand why he's not on a roster. Like, he can't come off the bench for nobody. He's a good player. He plays hard. If nothing else, the dude plays hard. But here's the problem with the dunk contest. We know these guys can dunk. We know they can dunk. We know you can jump high. We know you can do a spin. We know you can slam it hard. Like, what, what can you do in a dunk contest now that hasn't been done before? We've been watching the dunk contest every year for like 60 years. We've seen it all. There's only but so much you can do as a person with a basketball jumping and dunking. There's not many. You, what are you going to do? You can't spin around 12 times first. It's not scientifically possible. You can't. You could throw it up. You could throw an alley-oop. You can get an alley-oop from somebody. But like, what do you? Th- that's it. Like the, the action of dunking a basketball. There's not much you can do. So now you have to go to the, to the uh, theatrics where you have Blake Griffin pulled out the car and dunked over the car, which he said was just a joke. It was just commenting on the idea of like how ridiculous what this is. You got to, how it has to keep getting bigger and better and bigger and better. And so his stomach was, I'm going to pull out a car. Like, how ridiculous is that? That's what it comes down to. You can't, it's over. It's over. You, you, like, there's nothing you can do. There's no other dunks you can do. Nobody's creating new dunks that we haven't seen. Like, it's just, you can't. There's only but so much you can do. It's a simple action of putting the ball into the rim. Not, there's not only but so many ways you can do that. So here's the fix. Well, actually, let me finish. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm so excited to tell you my plans of what they should do going forward. Because, you know, everybody listens to me. (laughs) So the All-Star game itself is broken. Because, number one, the All-Star draft is a disaster. It's terrible. It is terrible. Number one, because I hate, like, it's so corny. It's like, with my third pick in the draft, it's going to be this guy who da-da-da-da-da, and then you say the name. It's like, bro, just pick the player and let's keep it moving. It's like, oh, we want to do it playground style. Like, then do it playground style. Have everyone up there, say, I'm taking him, let me get him. You make your team and then you go play. And then the game is unwatchable because the guys aren't playing. Here's the reason why the All-Star Game, here's, as a, from a fan's perspective, here's why we want, the, we love the idea of an All-Star Game. And here's what we want to see in the All-Star Game. We want to see what would happen if LeBron James, who is one of the best point forwards of all time, got to play with Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, this guy, and he could run up, dig, get into the lane and then dish out to this guy. For What would that look like? How great would that team be? And then how great would that team be if they played against this team and you could basically do like real life fantasy basketball, real life NBA 2K, my team, where you could just put a team together and have them play each other and see like, yo, how good would this, how good would this look? But instead, what they do is they make these teams, and then they just go out there and lollygag, and somebody shoots a three, they get the rebound, they run up court, they throw an alley-oop, nobody's guarding nobody, everyone's just kind of lollygagging around, it looks terrible. It's like what it looks like when you have, you know, a group of adults playing at the park, and then little kids want to play them in 5-on-5, and it's like, well, we're not really going to try too hard, like, you know what I mean? That's what it looks like. And as a fan, it's like, I don't want to see LeBron throw an alley-oop to... Kevin Durant, like, just because. Like, I want to see, can that team with those players beat this team with these players? Like, yo, what, n- just starting five, who you got? And then now you got to pick a starting five to compete against that? That's what we want to see. We want to see the best playing the best. And what does that look like? What is What, what kind of game would you? And if these guys played hard for the full game, like it was a championship game, it would be the most entertaining game we've ever seen in the history of life. It would be amazing. The guys won't do it, though, because nobody wants to risk an injury for an All-Star game. There's no value in it. We're not getting nothing for this. I get it. I'm not mad at them. But I think the NBA needs to step in and say, well, we can't keep putting this on Sunday night every year and having people talk about how trash it is. It's turning people off of the All-Star. It is. So, insert your boy. (laughs) Here I come to save the day again. Here's what I got. Number one, let's start with the slam dunk contest. Slam dunk contest and three point shootout. Here's what we're going to do. If you want to be an all star, if you want to have that title on your resume, have that on your legacy, participate in the weekend, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you a bonus. If you get voted in, or yeah, voted into an all star team, you get X amount of dollars. We're going to give you a cash amount. That's what you get for making the team. Why are we giving you that bonus? Why are we giving you that money? Because as an all-star, you have to participate in the dunk contest and or three-point shootout. You have to. And why do you have to or how are we going to pull this off? How are we going to pull this off? Well, here's what we're going to do. We are going to say that the fans get to vote on both events so there's 24 players on the roster right so of those 24 players the fans can vote on four players they want to see in the three-point shootout and four players they want to see in the dunk contest you vote on it and if you want to be a participant unless you have an injury or unless there's something like that happening you have to participate That's what I would do. And I know I sound like one of those old school owners of you work for me. But the reality is, is if you want to work and live and get paid off the MBA and what we provide for you as a business, you need to help us out by providing us with a service of saying, just go in the dunk contest. You want to know how I know it shouldn't be a problem? Because y'all do all the dunks in the game. If they went in the All-Star game and wasn't doing 360 dunks and windmills and all these crazy stuff and these alley-oops, if they weren't doing that in the game, I would say, all right, you're not really putting your body through nothing for the All-Star weekend. But you're doing it in the game. So that's number one. The three-point shootout and the dunk contest will be voted on by the fans based on the guys who got voted into the game. You will be financially compensated for it. I don't know. Give every player 3 million dollars for making the all-star team. So you might have to go in the dunk contest. Here's 3 million dollars. There you go. The NBA's got it. What's that? 48 million, 36 million, 36 million dollars they got it. They got it. You got it. You got it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you got it. Y'all could do it right So that's number 1. So now the fans get to choose, hey, you know what? Who are the all-stars? Okay, we got this guy, uh this guy. And every once in a while you'll get a weird one. You'll get like somebody saying they want, you know, uh I don't know who's that. name a random player on the bench, like Bonds. We want him to be in the dunk contest, like, yeah, he's in the dunk. And that'll ju- now you just make it fun. So now the fans have the control over it. So now if it doesn't work or if they don't like it, you say, Hey, y'all picked it. We're giving you the ability to control the all star weekend in that aspect. That's number one. Number two, we're getting rid of the all star game as currently constructed. What we're going to do is we're going to take the 24 players and we're going to divvy them up into um, three-man teams. Yup, that's what we're going to do. We're going to have a three-on-three tournament instead of playing in a traditional all-star game. That is right. You will have eight teams of three and they will play each other in a tournament style up to 11 to see who is the winner. Right? Right? And that's how we will have the all-star game. And that will be the winning all-star team. The same way you do the skills competition and you have the winning team is this. You do that same exact thing. How does it get divvied up? Random name generator. You pull a name out of a hat. You do it like a lottery. Here's team one here's team whatever and then you say team one is this guy this guy this guy this guy this guy and it's random matching all that cool and then these guys gotta go out there and play in a three on three tournament half court up to 11 just like it's really on the playground winner stays on loser gotta go and you out for the night that's it no best of whatever no uh, uh you gotta win tw- you gotta lose twice like no 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 straight up because I think if you have a three-on-three tournament, I think that those three guys, like, it's hard to hide. It It's real. Your competitive juices really get flowing in because now you're like, well, hold on now. Like, we've seen those secret runs, right? Those little NBA things. Like, I think in UCLA they got one where it's like a run. We've seen those runs. Those guys are competing. You know what I mean? So if you put it in a three-on-three fashion and say, yo, three-on-three up to 11, like, you ain't trying to go home. You ain't trying to be the one that gets eliminated first. Your natural competitive juices are going to kick in and your competitive streak is going to kick in. Especially if you got a team, like let's say LeBron gets paired with a bunch of, with two guys that he just feels like, ah, it ain't no good. His juice is going, he going to have to, he going to feel like I need to carry this team. We're going to win the All-Star. Then I would have a game of 21 between the top three vote getters for the All-Star team. Whoever the top three guys were that got the top three votes, I would have them play in a game of 21. That is correct. You know what it is. 21 by ones and twos. That's what I would do. That's what I would do. Come on now. And there is your all-star weekend. So I would take the celebrity all-star game and I would have that on Friday. And then Saturday, we would have the uh, three-point shootout start off the night. Then we would have the dunk contest. And then we would end it with the top three vote-getters playing in a 21 game, in a game of 21. And then for the All-Star game on Sunday, we would have the three-on-three tournament. And then we would decide the winner. And we would say, thank you for coming out. This is our All-Star weekend. It's cool. see you guys next year. I think that works. And again, like I said, if you make an all-star team, you get a three million dollar check, right? So now there's some financial incentive to be like, all right, I'll play because even if even if you' even if, you're, if you're playing 21, the chances of you getting hurt are like the same as going to practice right like if you' if you're playing in a three on three tournament, like it's eh, eh, come on. <laughs> like you play basketball, right? Like you go to practice and y'all do like one-on-one drills and three-on-three drills and stuff like that. Like, come on now. I think it's worth a shot. That's my, that's my, uh, that's my solution. That's my help. You guys could take that idea and run with it. Just give, just give, uh, sometimes i be right podcast a little bit of credit when you do it. So the last thing I want to talk about with basketball is Russell Westbrook, uh, it has signed officially with the Clippers And I know there's a lot of conversation about the move and why would the Clippers do this? And I don't know. I love the move. I love the move for both sides. Number one, let's talk about if you're Russell Westbrook. You get traded to the Lakers and immediately the expectation and the hype is through the roof. Everyone's excited. I actually came on here and said, I don't understand why this isn't going to work. I don't know why people are excited. Like this seems like a really bad idea, like a bad fit. Like what he likes to do or what he needs to do seems to be exactly what LeBron needs to do. And I don't see how those two are going to coexist. He's not a shooter. He's not an off-ball shooter. That's not what he is. But everyone was still excited and thought like, oh, look at their big three, blah, blah, blah. How good can this be? Can they win a championship? Whatever, 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 whatever. Like y'all always do. Then it didn't work out. and Things started going downhill and immediately everyone turned on Russell Westbrook as if he was the reason things aren't working and you got to get rid of him. Then they trade him. He gets bought out. And what does he have the opportunity to do? Go back to play in the same arena for the rival team and be able to help contribute to a championship. Because let's face it, the Lakers, they probably don't make the playoffs. And if they do, no one believes they're going to make the the championship. No one believes they're going to make the finals. You might say, well, if you get him in there and you got LeBron, you got a chance. Yeah, I guess. Sure. If you still think LeBron is that guy that can carry a team every night to a finals run, then sure, they got a chance still. But the reality is is we don't believe that, do we? If you're Russell Westbrook, you get, like I said, go back to that place, play in that building. Kind of stick it to that team. Prove that you got something left. Right? So now I think if you're the Clippers, you're getting an incredibly motivated player. Who has a lot to prove, not only to himself, but to the Lakers, to the league, to the media, to everybody else. And he's not going to go into that situation with the Clippers and have to do anything other than just distribute the ball for us. I think when they called him up to sign him or called his agent, they said, hey, here's what we want. Here's what we're looking for. Can you provide this for us? And I think he said 100% I can. Because I think at this point right now, the only thing Russell Westbrook wants to do more than win a championship is to do it in that building and have to have the Lakers look at him raise a banner in that building after they got rid of him the way they did. And after they made him the scapegoat for all their problems the way they did. I think that man wants to stick it to the Lakers. And he don't have to move his house. He don't have to move his kids from school. He don't have to go to a different place of business to work every day. He is right where he wants to be. So if I'm the Clippers, I say, look, we already got Paul George. We already got Kawhi. We already got Eric Gordon. We got shooters. We got these guys. What we need you to do is play really hard on defense and on offense, push the pace and get the ball to the guys who need to make the plays. Russell Westbrook can do that. I think for everything that we say about what he can't do, if you think about what he can do, do you think Russell Westbrook can average 15 assists a game? 1,000%. Do you think Russell Westbrook can get you 10 rebounds a game? 1,000%. He can still be a positive member of a championship team as long as you're not asking him to do things he's not good at doing. Don't ask him to be the number one option. Don't ask him to be the number two scoring option. Don't ask him. No, just go out there and distribute. Just be a point guard. With the Lakers, they had no shooting. Who was going to shoot the ball? Did you have a better option than Westbrook? No. So, of course, he was trying to do everything. You kept telling him how trash he was. Now he's ruining everything. And then he looked around and saw there's nobody else here. I got to do something. So, I'm going to just try it. Now, look, I'm not the biggest Westbrook fan, but I think if you're getting a highly motivated player and you're getting a guy who has a lot to prove and you're getting him with a roster where you say, listen, we just need you to do this thing. I think you're going to get a player that is willing to take that role to win a championship in order to stick it to everybody. So I like the move. So now I want to transition into football because even though the season's over, it's actually, like I've told you a million times, my favorite time of the year. So we got the draft coming up. We got free agency coming up. And there's already some conversations about what the future for Aaron Rodgers is going to be. Now, in case you don't know, Aaron Rodgers has gone to his uh, dark retreat where he's going to go sit in a hole in complete darkness for a few days and try to contemplate his future and what he wants to do. But it's come out and there's reports that the Packers are done with Aaron Rodgers. They're fed up with him. They've had enough of his crap and they're ready to move on and they're going to move Aaron Rodgers. I happen to live in New Jersey, which means all of my sports takes that I hear all the time come from the New York area. And sure enough, the Jets are linked to going after Aaron Rodgers and being a potential destination for Aaron Rodgers. Now, this to me is funny for two reasons. Number one, this is oddly similar to what happened last year where everyone keeps saying, man, the Jets, they got a good defense. They got great weapons. They just need a quarterback. That sounds just like the Denver Broncos. They just needed a quarterback and they went out and they got Russell Wilson. Oh my God! How good can they be? And it didn't work. It was trash. It's trash. Like there's an adjustment period, both personally and then professionally. It's an adjust. It's not always going to work. Where a guy's gonna come over and say, "We just need a quarterback. We got the best quarterback. Now we're gonna win." It's not a guarantee. It's not a lock. So for everyone to be talking about it now, with Aaron Rodgers, as if you're getting a lock, like you're an idiot. You have to be weary, you have to be curious of is it going to work? We need to ask the question is this going to be a Russell Wilson situation or is it going to be a Peyton Manning situation? What are we getting here? Because buyer beware, let's face facts Aaron Rodgers hasn't been to a Super Bowl since 2009 Like Aaron Rodgers has failed in the playoffs many many times Aaron Rodgers actually failed to make the playoffs last year and you could blame the Ross around and whatever, blah, 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 blah. But there's been reports coming out for years that Aaron Rodgers is kind of a difficult guy to get along with. He's kind of a weirdo. So you got that. Now, what, it, what the other story and the other side of it that's re- really similar is it's kind of like when the Jets went out and they got Brett Favre. Right? They went out and they got Brett Favre, and everyone thought, whoa, you got Brett Favre. But the problem was, Brett Favre was a little bit past his prime. You got an older version of Brett Favre, and it didn't work. What are you getting when you trade for Aaron Rodgers? Are you getting the best Aaron Rodgers? Are you getting an Aaron Rodgers who's like half really committed to it and is kind of only staying because he stands to lose $60 million if he retires? Or are you getting someone who's incredibly motivated to win a Super Bowl? What are you getting? And if you're not getting an incredibly motivated player, what does that mean? Is it worth it? I don't think so. I think the smart play for the Jets, if you're going to have to go out and get somebody, go get Derek Carr. You're getting a younger player. You're getting a guy who got trashed and and dumped by his team unceremoniously and unnecessarily and kind of was the scapegoat for all of their problems. You're getting a guy who's going to be motivated and young enough to actually do something about it and clearly still committed to winning games. Because he was crying just last year talking about he saw how hard people worked to get it done and they weren't getting it done. So he's clearly invested. That's the better play if you want to go that route. I am just baffled at how how the NFL and and sports media in general they keep doing the same thing and not realizing that it's just patterns and follow the pattern, watch the pattern, recognize the pattern. And this time we should be very very cautious about how good we want to think the Jet situation is or how good they're going to be if they just get Aaron Rodgers. I don't. I think Aaron Rodgers is done. I think he's toast. And I think the fact that the Packers aren't willing to deal with him anymore lets you know they think he's toast too. Another thing that popped up, and I'm going to call it out. So Nick Wright of Fox Sports is one of those guys who I feel like tried to take the mantle from Skip Bayless. Because Skip Bayless was like, for me, like the most recent and biggest. Like, I'm going to say wild takes. And I'm going to be very passionate about those wild takes. And that's going to get me um, a lot of notoriety and a lot of attention. So what happened with Nick Wright? Nick Wright came out and said something yesterday where he said, Patrick Mahomes has had the greatest first five years in the history of the NFL. Um, He's had the best start of all time, and it's not even close. And he was saying this in all seriousness with with an honest talk. He wasn't joking. This was his literal take for the day was... Patrick Mahomes has had the greatest start to a career of any quarterback in in history. And my response to that is so like what is the what is the the utility of that? What does that matter? What difference does that make? Right, like because it doesn't even it doesn't even make sense to me. Like, so you're saying what if Patrick Mahomes doesn't do anything for the rest of his career and actually turns into a bum that we're still going to look at him and say he's one of the greatest of all times because he had a good start? Like, what difference does it make? Like, what that statement and that argument that you're trying to make? What is the point of that? Where does that get you? Where does that lead us? And then what? to me it's just a stupid a stupid conversation to try to have to have some sort of to add some sort of additional meaning to something that is actually meaningless to have another greatest ever conversation or another goat conversation or another is this the best we've ever seen conversation that seems to be driving sports media these days and I don't understand it not everything is the best or the worst you've ever seen sometimes it's, it's all right or eh, it wasn't good but it does, not everything has to be put in the context of this great or worst context. You don't have to do it. There's other ways to do it. There's other ways to talk about sports without having these conversations and making these grand statements. I just thought it was dumb. I think it's a dumb statement to say that this guy's had the greatest five-year start to his career of any player that's ever played. Like, and, and someone who's had the worst start in the first five years doesn't mean that they can't have the next ten years be legendary. So just because you have a five-year legendary start doesn't mean you can't end up completely falling in the tank and losing everything, and then what? You had a good five years. Is that enough? Is that all you want? Can he just hang it up and retire and be good? They don't need to do nothing else? Like, that's what I'm saying. What's the point? That's just a side note. <laughs> that's just a personal grievance, I guess. So now let's talk about, we got the draft coming up, right? So obviously everyone's given their opinions, and I was reading this article where they were talking about how the Bears – should trade Justin Fields and draft Bryce Young because he's better. And so that immediately, you know, immediately I got mad at that. And I said, that's why? Why? And then I was like, you know what? I'm being a homer because I'm a Justin Fields guy. He went to Ohio State. I watched him. I, I believed in him. I, I said coming out that I would take him over Trevor Lawrence. And, yeah, that, that's my guy. But then I started thinking, well, let's no, let's no, let's take a step back, take my bias out of it. Like, let's evaluate Justin Fields. And, and then I realized, well, what are you judging him on? You're judging his ability to play or his his ability to be the guy based on what? What do the Bears have at receiver that you feel like he should have done more? What do the Bears have as a team that makes you say they should he should be better than he is? Because if you if you wanna sit down, here's what I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say this right now, and this is true. If you wanna sit down and have a pro day or a pro day like um thing with Justin Fields and and Bryce Young, I promise you Justin Fields is going to impress you with arm talent far more than Bryce Young will. Justin Fields athletically and arm talent wise is superior. Like Unbelievable, Like elite, bro. Like top-notch. Like the guy's got zip. The guy's got strength. Uh, the guy's super athletic, obviously rushing for a 1,000 yards. Like he can do so many things. I don't think the Bears have given him enough or done enough around him to be able to say that we've properly seen the best that he can be. We've given him every opportunity to show us just how good he can be and he's not delivering. So let's move on. I don't think that that's happened yet. So, because I don't think that that has happened yet, I think what are you evaluating Justin Fields on? You're just making, you're just saying he can't do it. I've seen him throw bad passes. I look at his numbers. He's not doing it for me. He's just a runner, whatever the case might be. But you're, but you've never seen Bryce Young play in the NFL. So, you have no idea how good he is either. But you're willing to take the risk on him. Based on what, what you saw in college? Well, then go back and look at Justin Fields' college tape. If Justin Fields was coming out this year with Justin Fields, with if Bryce Young was coming out, if Justin Fields was in college right now and was coming out with Bryce Young and CJ Stroud in this quarterback class, there would be a debate over is Justin Fields the best in the class? He would be. There would be a debate between him and Bryce Young, hundred percent. You would be having that conversation. You would look at their numbers and say, "Wow, look at man, look at what he did." Look at what he did versus Clemson. Like, yeah. There's a reason why he got picked where he got picked. It wasn't a fluke. (laughs) There's a reason why there was an excitement and people were saying that he needed to start over Andy Dalton. Like, why don't you just start Justin Fields? And they were saying, like, he's not ready. The truth is, is he's a guy who is a rookie, who is a young guy, who probably has some warts, obviously. Most of them do. He wasn't coming from an exact pro-style offense. He was coming from where he was kind of given some, you know, he had some good stuff around him, right? (laughs) So he had some things he had to work on and they didn't want to rush it because they knew the talent around him was going to be trash. And so now that you see it come to fruition where the talent around him is trash and he had to do the best he could and what he decided to do was I just got to take off and run. I got to use my legs until the rest of the team puts me in a position where I could use my arm more consistently. Now, look, don't get me wrong. Not every, I'm not saying he's free from fault or error. He has looked terrible at times. He has made some bad throws. But again, when you watch it, you see like it's not that he can't do it. It's that you see him pressing. You see him trying to force things. And that usually comes from he's never had a team that was that bad he went from his high school team which was dominating and getting the state championships every year to then he went to Georgia where you know what Georgia is and then he transferred to Ohio State where for 2 years he was in the playoff he was in playoff games with the top 4 team in the country then he comes to the NFL with a really bad roster and he has to learn something new and now it's like this is the worst team i've ever played for i don't really i got i got to make something happen and then you see him pressing now I'm not saying that Bryce Young will not be as good as Justin Fields and I'm not saying he can't be better. I'm not saying he's not better. I'm just saying if you're going to make the statement you need to move off Justin Fields and get and get Bryce Young, what are you what are you using to evaluate Justin Fields? What are you looking to determine that he's not the guy? What are you judging it based on? Because I promise you if you're being honest what you're using to judge what you're judging it on is not fair, it's not accurate and it's probably a little irresponsible that's my opinion on that and with that being said i would like to officially start this draft season and start giving you my player rankings and start telling you what i think now about these prospects because i've started digging into it watching some film making my judgments grading these guys and again much like the cyber quarterback rankings in the nfl i go into it with an idea of who i think is what what i think the top 10 would be the guys who i think are really good and then i have to settle down quiet that down just watch it and just grade them off of certain factors so there's certain things about quarterbacks that they need to have like intangibles they got to have those things that they talk about the uh you know the things you can't really see right they got to just have that it factor and so as much as I would like to judge a quarterback on do they have that it factor, mm-hmm. the reality is, is we don't know. You won't know until they get into the NFL and they start playing and they start adjusting their lives to it to see who's really the guy and who's not. So what I look for, let's start. With, we're going to start with quarterbacks this week, and I'm going to give you my top 10 quarterbacks and then one honorable mention. And now, again, this is not necessarily the guys that are my favorite, but this is just based on what I'm looking for, what I'm judging a quarterback on These are the guys and how they ranked. So the first thing we're looking for is I'm looking at mobility. How well can a guy move? Not necessarily how fast are you as a quarterback, but how well do you move in the pocket? If a play breaks down, can you pick up an eight yard scramble and get a first down for us? Where do you rank in that? How well do you move when you're pressed and you need to? Then I'm looking at arm talent, arm talent. How, how does the ball just zip off your hand? Do you got that zip? Can you get it into a tight window? Can you make all the throws? Where is your arm? Are you limited in any way? Right? Are you Brett Favre or are you Chad Pennington? Like that's what I'm looking for in terms of arm talent. And then the last thing is going to be accuracy. How accurate are you? And that's not how high your completion percentage is in college. So looking at a guy who, for example, like last year, I said that Kenny Pickett will complete 68%, but he's not very accurate because a lot of those balls will be behind guys. Guys have to stop on deep routes to catch the ball. Guys have to go over here to go get it. And just because you completed a pass doesn't mean it was an accurate throw. So I ignore stats. I ignore all that stuff. And I'm just judging guys over when I watch you play, what is your mobility like? What is your arm talent like? And what is your accuracy like? And the reason why these three things are the things I look for is because that's the standard that we can all judge a quarterback on, right? We can't judge their toughness until we see them in a situation where they have to show it, right? So I can't look at your college film and say, oh, he's a tough guy. Like, based on what? Because the NFL is different. Because Ryan Leaf, when you graded him, wasn't crazy to take him number one overall. But then when he gets into the league, you start seeing things and realizing things that you can't really predict or account for when you're just watching film. So those are my three factors. Again, we're looking at mobility, arm talent, and accuracy. Now, there's some names in here that I was surprised at where they were and how they fell. So I'm just going to I'm just going to read through uh my top 10. At number 1, I have CJ Stroud from Ohio State. Yes. I know. I know. You're probably thinking that's biased. And you know what? Maybe it is. But we'll talk about exactly how they ended up being in these spots that they were in in a moment once I read off the list. At number two, I have Anthony Richardson from Florida. Number three, I have Bryce Young from Alabama. At four, I have Hendon Hooker from Tennessee. At five, I have Clayton Toon from Houston. At six, I have w- Will Levis from Kentucky. At seven, I have Todd Santeo. From James Madison. At eight, I have Dorian Thompson Robinson from UCLA. At nine, I have Stetson Bennett from Georgia. At ten, I have Malik Cunningham from Louisville. And an honorable mention is Tanner Morgan out of Minnesota. That is my top ten quarterbacks in this draft. And trust me, I've I've watched them all. There's a couple guys that like it's it's really impossible to find film on these guys. Like it's just you have to work for the NFL to be able to get like game film from these colleges. Like it's impossible. So a few things we want to start with. Number one, as I said, this is not, this top 10 list is not my favorite guys. Okay. This is the guys that when I'm, when I judge mobility, arm talent, accuracy on a scale of one to five, I give you a a grade of one to five, five being the best one being the worst. And then I give you a total score. And then I rank those by score in terms of who had the highest score. So, First thing is, at number two, Anthony Richardson. I'm going to tell you right now, I would not take Anthony Richardson. I would not draft him. I would not draft him. I do not trust him at all. He is a guy, but if you're looking at mobility, top notch. If you're looking at arm talent, none better. And if you're looking at accuracy, it's awful. It's not good. But because of his mobility and arm talent getting such a high score, it makes up for the fact that his accuracy is a little less. But if we want to talk about talent, he may be the most talented quarterback in this draft as far as size and mobility and arm talent top, like might be the best better than everyone. So when they say that like, he's got the highest ceiling, yeah, he's got the high ceiling, but he's also got the lowest floor and I don't, I don't trust him. He seems like a guy to me who's always going to get opportunities because the talent is just so rare, but I just don't think he's ever going to put it together because I watched him at Florida and he never really put it together. And in games where you needed him to really be great, he wasn't really, he didn't get it done. He didn't get it done. And I'm not talking about wins and losses. I'm talking about the way he played against the best teams he played. Really, yeah, nah, it never seemed like he could rise to the stage that he was on. But he ends up at number two, again, in terms of talent. Because if you're looking at the grades, there you go. Now, C.J. Stroud being above Bryce Young, I know that everyone's going to say there's a bias there for me, but I would argue there's a bias there for you. Because all the other scouts and all the other guys are going to look at Bryce Young and say, because he played at the SEC, that means he played against better competition, which means he showed out against the best players in the world. Because you're not going to look at, you're not going to look here and tell me you've watched these two players play and you think that there's anything Bryce Young does better than C.J. Stroud. There's not. There's nothing Bryce Young does that's better than C.J. Stroud. There's not. If you want to talk about arm talent, let's see. Bryce Young, I gave an arm talent of a 4 on a scale of 1 to 5, and I gave C.J. Stroud a 5. I think C.J. Stroud has a better arm. I do. If we're talking about accuracy, I graded. I think C.J. Stroud consistently puts the ball in an amazing catch position i think guys don't i don't see guys slowing up on deep balls i don't see guys having to stop on crossing routes i don't see guys reaching behind them to get it he's constantly throwing it in a good spot i think he's a little bit more accurate than Bryce young mobility i got them both the same i think they're both incredibly mobile uh for what you're asking them to do neither one of them is like a light you up run around like justin fields type but they're both much better than average so i got he just right a little ahead now if you, I got no problem with Bryce Young. This isn't a bias on my part because I was hating on Bryce Young. And then I saw Bryce Young play a couple times and I started watching him. And when I watch a guy like that, I say, man, I don't want to like this guy. And then I say, yo, I can't lie. This guy, this kid's really good. Like Bryce Young's really good. If you take him over CJ Stroud, I don't think you're an idiot. I think with these two guys, they are so close in terms of their ability that it comes down to personal preference. I'm taking the six foot three, 220 pound quarterback in CJ Stroud over the five foot 11 Bryce Young every day of the week. If they're that close in talent, give me the bigger guy. That's it. It's personal preference. It's not bias. Now, who I think should be right behind those guys is Clayton Toon out of Houston. Now, Clayton Toon is 6'3, 220. In 2022, last season, he completed 67%. 4,074 yards, 40 touchdowns, only 10 picks. Now, he threw the ball more than C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young. So, if you look at, so what I did was I went back and I said, "Hmm, how can I make a case? How can I make a case for Clayton Toon and say that he's just as good as C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young? Now, he's not just as good as those guys, but he's a notch below, okay? But he's better than Anthony Richardson He's better than Hendon Hooker. He's better than Will Levis. He's better than all these guys. He should be the third quarterback in this class. He should be the third quarterback taken off the board. In the last two years, if you take the last two years, because that's when Bryce Young played and when C.J. Stroud played, right? The last two years. Bryce Young completed 66%. C.J. Stroud completed 69%. And Clayton Toon completed 68%. Throwing more than both of these guys. Okay. In the last two years, Bryce Young had 8,200 yards. CJ Stroud had 8,100 yards. And Clayton Toon had 7,600 yards. He's right there in line with him. He's not far behind these guys. Another stat: yards per attempt. Bryce Young was 8.8. CJ Stroud was 9.8. Clayton Toon was 8.3. He's right in line with these guys. Touchdowns: CJ Stroud leads the way with 85. Bryce Young is number two with 79, and Clayton Toon comes in third with 70. Like these guy, like he's right there. I don't understand why people aren't talking about Clayton Toon as being a real legit, should be the third guy off the board. If I'm, if I'm, if I'm, let's say you're the Colts and you're picking, and you know, CJ Stroud is gone, Bryce Young is gone. And you got to pick between the rest of them. Now, I know most people are probably going to say, I'm taking Anthony Richardson or I'm taking Will Levis. Clayton Toon is the guy that needs to go. He's the guy that needs to get drafted there. He's better than Anthony Richardson and Will Levis. And I'm willing to bet that he ends up being, he might end up being the first or second best in this class. I think the guy is that good. I think he's being overlooked. I think CJ Stroud, in my opinion, is going to have the best career. I just think like he's just just where he comes from not being the highest recruited guy um having to go to the Elite 11 camp somewhat like unknown you know what I mean I know that's weird that like, you're you're getting invited to a camp like obviously people know you but like he wasn't like highly regarded as like the number 1 guy coming out in his class and then he earns you know a 5 star rating very late actually I don't even think of it. I think he earned a 4 star rating from that cuz he won the MVP wild people he goes to Ohio State, he kind of has to earn his way in there. He comes onto the scene, earns his way on there. Last year at the Pro Day when he was throwing for uh, Wilson and Alave, the scouts were like, yo, if you were coming out this year, I'd take him number one. Like, the guy is incredibly talented. He, he's got all the stuff. But Clayton Toon is right there, man. If I'm the Cowboys, if I'm the Cowboys, I'm drafting Clayton Toon. I don't know how early. Um, if I'm in the third round and I think like he might not make it to the fourth, I'm taking him in the third round. And I know that's crazy. But I think in a year or two, Clayton Toon is going to be ready to take over. So what I would do if I'm the Cowboys, this is what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping the Cowboys draft him uh, in the third or fourth round. Let Dak Prescott play out his contract. And then have Clayton Toon getting ready to go. And then he's ready to jump in and start once Dak Prescott's contract is up. Because I'm ready to move on from Dak. But y'all knew that. Now the guy Todd Sentillo. I'll probably talk about him a little bit more as we go, get closer. Um, He's from James Madison. He's a smaller guy. I know he's not going to get drafted. He's not going to get drafted. He's got a great story, though. Look him up. Um, He's transferred. He's bounced around from a few places. He was at Colorado State for a little bit before he ended up in James Madison. He had some health issues. But that's a guy who, when you watch him, bro, the ball jumps off his hand. And he's tough as nails, man. He's tough. Like, he's... You can see, like he's a smaller guy. So, I again, he's a guy that I want on my roster. I don't know what I'm going to do with you. I don't know if you'll ever be able to start in the NFL, but I want you on my roster, kind of like a, a, a Heineke, a Taylor Heineke kind of guy. Where it's like you're an overachiever. You're a little small. You're not, you know. But his arm talent is way better than Heineke. This guy, Todd and Look look into him. Look into him. Now, I was shocked that I had Malik Cunningham coming in in the top ten. Because his, look, that's a guy who's just based on his his mobility is a five out of five. Like, he's top notch. And then his arm talent is pretty good, man. It's, a, it's slightly above average in terms of his arm talent. Now, the thing that really suffers is accuracy. But again, when you're judging on a scale of these three measurables, if you end up being like the 10th rated one, like, yeah, your mobility is going to help you there. But my personal preference would be Tanner Morgan from Minnesota, who grades, you know, the exact same or no one notch below because he's more like right across the board. Just good. But the thing I like about him, again, is when you watch him play, you could just see that he gets the most out of his abilities. He's not like Malik Cunningham, a lot of times would rely on his feet to make plays and to get him out of bad situations, whereas Tanner Morgan doesn't have that luxury. So he's like pinpoint. So now there's one guy that I will say that I I'm hearing a lot about and I don't get it, and that's Aiden O'Connell from Purdue. I don't get this guy. In my opinion, this guy is not very good. I don't understand why everyone says, like, oh, if you want to like they're talking about the Cowboys drafting him late. Like, I don't I don't get that at all. I don't get that at all. Like, to me, like that's a mistake. That's a mistake. Hendon Hooker ended up being a lot better than I wanted to give him credit for. Tanner McKee from Stanford is another guy who people seem to love. Scouts seem to love, and I don't get it. Like I don't think that guy's very good at all. I think Davis Mills was far better than him coming out of Stanford. So if you're drafting Tanner Mackey or McKee, I don't even know how to say it. I'm going to say McKee. Then that's that's a big mistake too. Jake Hayner out of Fresno State, that's a guy that I like a lot too. He's not in the top 10, but that's a guy who's like, yeah, he looks like he could do some damage in a year or two as well. So that's my top 10, man. Again, we got C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, Bryce Young, Hendon Hooker, Clayton Toon, Will Levis, Todd Santeo, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, Stetson Bennett, Malik Cunningham. That is the top 10 quarterbacks, according to Sometimes I Be Right, for 2023 NFL Draft. And that's my time, y'all. Look, I appreciate y'all coming through. Again, another week, another opportunity to give you guys the real insights on sports. Listen, follow me on all social media at cyber underscore pod. That's S-I-B-R underscore P-O-D. Hit me up on there. Let me know what you think about my ideas for the NBA All-Star Weekend. I know it's kind of a little off the wall, a little outside the box, but I think that's exactly what the NBA needs in order to really improve this thing and jump started, give people something interesting, get these guys competitive again, because what we really want to see is the best competing against the best, that's what the all-star game is supposed to be, so we need to get back to doing it, so listen, we'll be back next week, next week, I'm going to tackle running backs, I'm going to give you my top 10 running backs, I'm almost done watching through those guys, so we'll have a lot of fun with that, and I think I'm actually going to do my first mock draft, I just haven't decided what team I'm going to do it with, um, I'll probably start the Cowboys, let's be honest, <laughs> So I will see you guys next week. Have a good week. God bless. Be safe out there.